You kind of, if when you really do the whole full meal and all that kind of stuff, it takes quite a while. And but uh, we'll 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 be able to get this done in about forty five fifty minutes. Um, you basically you have a bag in front of you which you'll be using. I'll, I'll call you out and you'll there's some stuff in there. The elements that they use during the meal, the symbolism is in there. And so uh, when it's time, just get ready for that and we'll pull those out. But um, let me just start off. It was about it was over three thousand years ago when uh, Passover actually took place. And it's the story of when God delivered the Israelites out of their bondage and slavery while they were in Egypt. And uh, so basically the Israelites ended up in Egypt through Joseph, if you know that story at all. And so Joseph brought it, he brought there, his brothers came, all the clans of Israel came. And that's really, while they were in Egypt, is when Israel grew and grew and grew and grew. But the problem was they were in slavery and it was a horrible time in their history. And they were crying out to God to say, would you please deliver us from this bondage? Would you please deliver us? Free us. Set us free. And this is where Moses comes on the scene. And God comes to Moses and he says, I have heard the cries of my people. And I'm going to deliver them. And you're my man. So Moses goes in and he meets with Pharaoh and he says, God told you. Anybody know? what? Did, when, when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said what? Yeah, let my people go, right? So let my people go. And every time he did, Pharaoh came back to him and said, I ain't going to do it. So there were these plagues that took place, 10 of them. And nine of those plagues, the Jewish people were not succumbed to. They, they lived in an area called Goshen at the time. And so when the plague would happen over Egypt, they were actually free from those things. But the 10th plague was going to be the death of the firstborn son. And this one, they were not exempt from. So God said, the angel of death is literally going to come over Egypt, and every firstborn son is going to die. But he looked at them, and he said, there is an exemption for you. And that's what Passover is all about. And he starts off, and he says, uh, you're going to have to take a year-old lamb. And I'm going to go ahead and read right from uh, Exodus chapter 12, uh, starting with verse 5. He says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So basically, you've got to take a lamb. It needs to be a male. It needs to be, have no defect, no spots, no broken bones. It has to be perfect. You slaughter the lamb. You take the blood from the lamb, and you go to your door frame, and you take the blood, and you put it on top, and you put it on both sides, and you cover your home with this blood of the lamb. He goes, then, that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. <laughs> okay? So they got to eat this meal. And you guys, you know, they kind of wore the nice long robes, flowy robes. He says, hike those babies up. <laughs> stick them in your belt. Get your shoes on your feet. Because why? Yeah, you better get ready to run. <laughs> okay? You got to get ready to take off. And so they had to eat this meal ready to go. And then he says, you have to eat it in haste because this is the Lord's Passover. Now, on that same night, and here's God, he says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So this right here, you guys, is the story. This is what God, what the Jewish people for hundreds, literally thousands of years now, have been celebrating this deliverance of death. Because it was this last plague where finally Pharaoh said, okay, 
enough's enough, go and be free. And it's celebrated every year, every year. And what's really interesting about this, Jesus grew up and he was Jewish, right? So Jesus, Jesus would have celebrated the Passover meal every year as well. Now, there's tons of preparation that took place for this. And even with Jesus, uh, in Mark chapter 12, there was a lot of preparation that had to take place. It says, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if you guys heard that in there, the bread had to be unleavened. He goes, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, I don't want, I don't want you guys to miss this. All the way through this Passover meal, we're going to continue to go back. Do you guys know what meal this is? What, what meal is this that he's getting ready to do? Yeah, the Last Supper. See, so the Last Supper that Jesus was having with his disciples was the Passover meal. Now, don't forget this. For years, all these disciples growing up as good Jewish boys, okay, they would have taken this Passover meal over and over and over again. So when it came time, to sacrifice the Passover lamb. They come to Jesus and they say, what do we do? So he sent two of his, of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you and follow him. This is always so funny to me. Say to the owner of the house that he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples left, they went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. All right? So now here's how the, how the preparation happened. There couldn't be, the house had to be clean. So again, you, you, they, they normally did this in someone's home. So the house had to be clean from anything that had leaven in it. All right? Had to be, and, and, and so I think this is what turned into spring cleaning. Okay? <laughs> So I seriously, when I thought about that, I bet spring cleaning started because of this right here. Because the Jewish people had this tradition. Every spring that comes in, we got to get all the leaven out of the house. And it was the Jewish mother's job. And she would literally spend weeks making sure that there was no leaven, no crumbs, nothing in their house. And then, according to rabbis, it was only the husband who could actually certify that the house was clean. Don't you love that, ladies? Okay? Come on, get to work, get to work, get to work, and I'll just come in and check out your work. I mean, it's kind of weird. So anyway, uh, it was called Berichot Komet. Now, give me a total liberty on my Jewish pronunciation here, but I know you've got to get the in there, so I'm sorry if I spit on you guys. So, um, but uh, literally, what would happen with this, and, th and that simply meant search for the leaven. Search for the leaven. So the father would come in, and he would take a feather, and a wooden spoon, and a linen cloth. And he'd walk around the house, and he would look. And what the mother would do is she would leave one little tiny piece of leavened bread in the house, and the guy had to find it. Now, now when I watched that, the guy who was leading this thing, who actually was Jewish, he said, now hopefully, if your wife loves you, she left it in the same place she did last year, <laughs> you know, so you can find the thing. But uh, and when, the, when the father would find it, he would take the feather, and he would, and he would brush the little crumb, and he'd put it in the wooden spoon, and then he'd take the spoon, and he'd put it into the, 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 the linen. He'd wrap up whatever was left and fold it up, and then he would walk over to the nearest uh, Jewish synagogue, and there would be a bonfire there, and they would burn it. And that was the symbol now that the house is clean. The house is clean. And now you can celebrate Passover. See, now what's interesting, some of you know, but many of you probably don't, Leaven or yeast in the Bible was always a symbol for sin. That's what it meant. So when you read about leaven or yeast in the Bible, it was always something that was seen as negative. And so an unleavened bread, which we're going to talk a lot about today, was always a symbol that there was nothing bad in it. Completely pure, completely holy. And what's really interesting is Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is so cool. He says, your boasting isn't good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Okay? So if there's just a little bit of inside you, eventually it starts to affect your whole life. Don't you know that? And so then he goes on to say, get rid of all the old yeast that you may be a new batch 
without yeast. As you really are. For Christ, now listen to this, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival. So what's he saying? So what he's really saying here is this is, now, now we're in the Christian mode, right? And he's talking to Christians. And he's saying, listen, you guys, our Passover lamb has come. Let's keep the festival. Let's still celebrate Passover. But let's especially celebrate it because there shouldn't be any of this sin, this, this ugliness, this, the stuff that destroys our relationships and the, the stuff that weighs us down and robs us of our joy, the stuff that takes our peace out of our life, the stuff that keeps us from being everything that you were created to be. He's going, that guy, that stuff, that stuff, let's get that out of there. Cause now you can be free from that. He goes, therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So the house gets ready. They've got all the leaven out. There's a, it's a symbol. Again, it's tons of symbolism. symbolism and I'm going to hit that in just a second. Um, but it's a symbolism that, okay, we're totally ready. God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? My heart's wide open. Have me, take me. And even today, guys, even in this funky thing that we're doing, that's real different. Even today, we can have that same sort of heart that says, God, I just, just have me and just take me. Just do whatever you want. The next thing that would happen is the mother would light candles. Okay? And that was called the Burkat Haner. It's the lighting of the festival candles. And then she would do a, a reading out of books of prayers. It was called the Haggadah. It's called the telling. So she would read prayers while she lights the candles. And now the Passover celebration can begin. Now, what's cool, and uh, if, you, if you read the Old Testament, or I'm sorry, the New Testament, and you see the Last Supper, how, how did they eat the meal? Um, it says that the disciples reclined. You guys remember that? So they reclined. And this is actually really cool because it was important that you actually sit. And so even at home, like the first time I ever did a Seder meal in someone's home, we literally laid on the floor, <laughs> you know. In fact, we were actually going to do that here. We we're going to get rid of all the chairs. <laughs> and seriously, we were going to do this. We were going to say, and bring your own pillow. You know, and just have everybody just sit on the ground. And then we thought, no, that won't work. So, um, but even, even in most Jewish homes, you'll, you'll have a a chair, but they'll give you a pillow as well. And it's again, another symbol because in the original Passover, how did they have to eat the meal? Remember what I said? How'd they have to eat the meal? No, they had to have their thing ganked up and stuck in their, in their belt. Right. And they had to have their sandals on their feet and they had to get ready to run. Now, here's what's interesting. In ancient Near Eastern culture, in ancient Near Eastern culture, only free people were allowed to sit while they ate. So if you were a slave, you always had to stand when you ate. And so now, right, what are we celebrating? The the Jewish people are celebrating, we're free. So they're like, man, let's get down. (laughs) Let's get down and let's celebrate the fact that we're free. So that's a cool symbolism that many of us didn't know. And that's why you recline when the Passover begins. Now the father, as the head of the home, as the priest of his home, he would lead the celebration. But it was especially a time for the children. And that's why we wanted all you kids in here. They really included the kids a lot. And one of the things they would do is they would have four questions that, uh, that the kids would ask. And they would chant these things. It was called the Manishtana. And the question, the main question to the kids, to the dad, would be, why is this night different from all the other nights? And when the father would answer the four questions, and answering those questions, he would give the history of the Passover story. And to make sure that all the kids and everybody in the room would remember again, this is why this night is different than any other night. Because when God came and delivered our people from Egypt, it was a night like no other. So, if you go ahead and in your bag, there's a styrofoam cup with grape juice in it. Go ahead and pull that out. All right. So this meal... Excuse me. This meal is pretty much outlined by four cups. 
Um, but you actually don't use four cups. You use one cup, but you drink it four times. Okay. So you're going to be using this cup four times. So don't if you're really thirsty, don't drink all of it right off the bat. Okay. <laughs> Just chill on that. Um, um, we'll get you some water and you'll be fine. Um, but the first cup, the father would pull out and this cup was called Kadush and it means sanctification. It was the cup of sanctification and the prayer that would be said while the cup was held up was this. Blessed are thou, O Lord, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. So, at the upper, in the upper room, during the Last Supper, with Jesus with his disciples, he would have taken this cup, and he would have done the Kadesh. And he would have been sanctifying. And that word, I know it's the sanctification word, literally means just we're going to set apart this moment to God. This is going to be a holy moment. Because that night of his deliverance was holy. It was so of God. And they wanted to make sure that when they celebrated the Passover meal, that everybody who was a part would remember again, this, this moment, this meal that we're going to share together is holy. So we come and we just say again, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. So when Jesus was doing this in Luke 15, it says, he said to his disciples, I have, I love this. He goes, oh, I have so eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Oh, and you you just wait and you're going to see why. Jesus looked at his disciples and he goes, I have been waiting for this day. I am so passionate about this Passover meal that I'm going to share with you. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until I find fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, and he gave thanks, and then he said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I won't drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So, in this moment, and again, I just want to encourage you. It's going to be a fun day. But even as you drink this right now, would you be willing just to drink this as a symbolism to say, you know what, God, I'm ready for this moment to be a holy moment. I'm ready for you to come and maybe surprise me. I thought I was just going to come to church today. I thought I was just going to do the Seder. But maybe in this moment, God will reveal to you how much he loves you. Let's take and let's drink the cup of sanctification. All right. Now, it's called the Seder, if you didn't know that. And the Seder, Seder literally means just order. And so as we go through this meal, you're going to see there's a lot of order that they did. They just, and they, they just wanted to have some repetition, and they wanted people to remember. And so one of the things that happens, this is called a Seder plate. And you'll, you'll see there are six kind of uh, indentations um, in this plate. And uh, that doesn't mean it's for deviled eggs. I know it kind of looks like that, but that wouldn't be appropriate, would it? So, um, <laughs> so uh, but this is the Seder plate, and it's there with six little indentations because and basically all the elements that you have in your bag would be on this plate if we were just doing this in our home, okay? Um, and here's what we're going to do. These six items, you guys, are all symbols. Now, let me, let me try to help you understand what, why, why God does this. Um, even when Jesus came, he said, if I come in like all my glory, so if I let you see what I'm like straight from heaven, basically what he was saying is, I would so freak you out. You just, my glory would blow you away. So he came in flesh and lived in a way so that we could understand. See, well, God has obviously, hopefully, right? Deep, deep spiritual truths that are so far beyond the human mind. There's no way we could understand. I hope we can't. I hope our little pea brands can't understand God. You know, don't you hope he's bigger than we are? So what he does is he takes spiritual truths and he gives us symbols so that in an earthly sense, we can go, okay. Okay, I get it. I get it. Now, the other reason he gives us symbols like this is to help us to remember. Okay? Because one of the things we got to realize again is, is when, and, and think about this. So here's the Jewish people, literally. If this was us with our families, 
in one moment, they put the blood over the top of their door and off the side. And when you read the scriptures, the cries, I hate this story, to be honest. But just the cries of loss of life that took place. And yet, for those who the angel of death came and passed over them, and then Pharaoh finally said, you be free. And they were finally able to be free. Can you imagine what it was, must have been like to celebrate Passover just a year after that event? <laughs> right? Because the memory must have been unbelievably fresh. They're looking at their little boy. Going, you're alive. You're alive because God provided a way. And we're free. We're in our new land and we're not in slavery anymore. And so you can see that first year must have been an unbelievable Passover celebration. But you guys know, right? The celebration and the excitement year after year, after year, after year, after year, after year. So you got, some of you guys know what I'm relating to? And if you go like, man, you received Christ and it was like, God, this is awesome. I can't believe what he's done for my life. And then the next year is like, yeah, it's cool, man. Second year, like, yeah, church is all right. Four or five years later, it's like, yeah, I don't know if I, yeah, I see what I'm saying. So Jesus, God knows this. So what he did is he goes, I got to make sure that we have some way to help you to remember. And symbols do that too. And I love the fact that God knows we learn best by not just spoken words. He knows we learn best by tactically doing things and observing things. So as you go through these symbols, that's why we're doing them. They were deep. God, God instituted these and he, he put them in like, to help the people remember what I did for you. Don't forget me. Okay? Now, as time went on, there were some different things that were added as well. In the time, by the time of Jesus, this would have been the meal that was served. Okay? All right, so here we go. The first thing out of the six elements it was this, uh, is this green stuff. So go ahead and grab uh, your little cup of parsley out of your bag. And also, there should be another little cup in there with a clear liquid in it. That is a water. All right. So here was the symbolism that God wanted the Israelites to remember by using this. Now, this stuff is called karpos. Okay, karpos. And what it means is the green is supposed to symbolize life. The green symbolizes life. Okay? Now, go ahead and open your little salt water. That's actually salt water. Anybody know why it's salt water? No, it's not all they had. For tears. For tears. So go ahead and take your carpus and dip it in your salt water. And the reason that God wanted them to do this every year was I want you to remember how life was soaked with tears. I want you to remember the sadness of your forefathers, especially if it was hundreds of years later. I want you to remember what life was like for them. But, now go ahead and just take it out and keep it over your little cup. But that life, God says, remember, I brought you up out of that life. So now take it and eat it in remembrance of that. See, now do you see what God's doing? Your taste buds taste the saltiness and it helps you to remember my forefathers were in slavery and in bondage. That was the life they were living. All right. The second thing is something called maror. And we know it as horseradish. All right? Oh, look at the faces. You're all excited. Sorry, there's no roast beef in there. Don't get to add it to your sandwich. It's just a nice little white, kind of pasty-looking substance in there. So grab your horseradish. And as well, yep, and as well, you want to grab your little plastic cup of, with bread. You should have some matzah. Matzah is literally just means unleavened bread. So grab some matzah. Do you need something? You good? 
All right. So now when I watch this, I don't know how much, how much, uh, Moror you guys have in there. Oh yeah. Sweet. Looking good. They literally would take a piece of bread, you guys, and make sure when they ate this stuff, they would make sure there was almost a teaspoon, excuse me as I spit on you, um, almost a teaspoon of horseradish. So literally, you guys, I want you, you're all going to survive this moment, right? <laughs> Nobody's going to, we don't have to call the medics after this or anything. I literally want you to take your bread, get as much horseradish on your thing as you can and eat it. Here we go. Okay, here's what I'm doing. Go for it. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. Come on, Lisa, you can do it. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's the perfect picture right there. There you go. Nasal decongestion. Now, the reason they would have you, now if you remember in Exodus chapter 12, When God was instituting the Passover meal, he said, I want you to take you in this meal, there will be the bitter root and you'll always eat the bitter root. Now, when you eat that, mine wasn't actually as hot as I thought it would be because I've had horseradish where it's like this much, right? And it sends you off the roof. So I (coughs) (laughs) think, all right. So anyway, the, uh, Literally, when it's real hardcore horseradish, you guys know what that's like. It burns up here, and it causes you to cry. And again, the reason that God said, I want you to do this every year, is I want you to remember the tears and the pain that was shed. Now, here's what's really interesting. And I didn't, I had never put this together until this year in studying for this. At the Last Supper, when Jesus looked at his disciples... He told them, now one of you is going to betray me, right? And all the disciples were freaking out. And they're going, oh, Lord, who is it? Not I. And Jesus' answer was, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) I got to get to that cup soon. Jesus' answer to them was, it is the one, right, who dips into the sup with me. So what was happening is this is what it meant. It was this moment right here where Judas was dipping into the bitter herb with Jesus. And he ate it. And then it says, in that moment, is when Satan entered Judas to cause him to do what he was going to do. And Jesus looked at him and he said, now what you're going to do, go do quickly. How interesting That the bitter herb, which is meant to help everyone symbolizing bitterness and tears, is when Judas was making the decision to betray Christ. Pretty incredible. Okay, now the next thing is called charaset. And grabbing your bag, this little mixture of apples and raisins and nuts. Now, did you hear me? I said nuts. So if you're allergic to nuts, don't participate in this one. Okay? Just look at it. It'll look something like this. Little brown feel. You're going to need your bread again. You're going to need your bread again. Sorry about that. You already ate all your bread? Okay. Wow, you guys are hungry, huh? Sweet. Well, if you did, that's fine. You can use your fingers. <clears throat> It'll be fine. But basically, the charaset is something, again, made out of raisins and apples and nuts. And with this, it, it represents the mortar that the Israelites would use to build the homes between the bricks. So if you read the Old Testament story, most of their slave labor was having to make mortar and to make bricks and to build these homes. And so they went ahead and they said, well, let's have this. God says charaset is going to remind us of the mortar. Now, so the question is, why then so sweet? Why would this stuff be sweet and nice? And I love this. Because 
it helps us to realize that even the most bitter troubles can become sweet when we know that redemption is near. So, I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about your life right now. And I don't know how it's going. And it may be tough. And you may have really deep, painful things that are either going on right now or maybe in your past. And one of the great things that we can know from Passover is God is the one who can deliver us from our slavery, from our tears, from our pain, from our suffering. He is the one who can bring us into freedom and into life and into joy. And because we have that hope in Christ, that even when life feels bitter like horseradish, we can also remember that there's hope in his redemption. So go ahead and take it and eat the sweetness of the hope that we have in God. No, oh, that's good. That is really good. Mm. All right. Those are the first three. The fourth thing you guys don't have in your bag, <clears throat> and on the table, it would be this, and this is called kajaret, and it literally is the bitter root. So this actually is horse, this is what horseradish is made out of right here, this root. And it just sits on the table right there. Nobody has to eat it. But it just, again, reminds us that even sometimes the very root of life can be bitter. And it was for our ancestors. See, and this is why I love about God. Because when life gets hard for us, we automatically, I don't know about you, but our tendency is automatically to go, where are you and why don't you don't care? And we call out and we wonder where God is and we just suffer and we kind of moan and we feel like a victim and we just, oh, it's life. And God wanted to remind us by this thing right here to say, hey, 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 don't forget your ancestors. Don't forget them. Sometimes even the root of life can be bitter, but, to be, but eventually redemption and freedom came. All right? Now, the next thing, the fifth thing, is called the hagigah, and that is a boiled egg, okay? It's a brown, hard-boiled egg, so go ahead and pull one out. You got a little uh, boiled egg er, there inside your bag, all right? This is the hagigah, but hagigah also is the name for the sacrifice of the lamb, okay? Now, remember, this was the whole key. In the original Passover, they had to go and make the sacrifice of the lamb. That is how they actually received the blood to even be able to put on their doorposts so that the angel of death would fly over and the blood would cover them, right? So you need this lamb, this Haggagah. You got to have this. And so, but the Haggagah, the, the sacrifice of the lamb had to take place in the temple. All right? Now you guys know, right? You guys know what happened in AD, 70 AD? In 70 AD, the Roman Empire rushed into Jerusalem and they destroyed the Jewish temple. How many of you guys have been to Jerusalem? Anybody? Oh my gosh, we need to take a charter flight. Not one of you. Oh, you guys, I'm serious. It is, it is. Man, if you're a follower of Christ, go. Seriously. You will never read the Bible the same, ever. Because what you read, you'll have seen. It's beautiful. But to stand at this temple and to see it destroyed and be ever since then, because the temple wasn't there, they couldn't do the sacrifice. So the Passover meal ever since then, the rabbis would say, you can't even eat lamb now during the Passover meal because we haven't been able to sacrifice it. So they take this piece of egg. So go ahead and take your piece of egg. Oh, and I totally, I'm sorry. If you want to do this right... You're supposed to have your salt water out again. Okay. Man, salt water ain't that bad. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. For, I, I know I've, I should have helped you to know that at the beginning. But you take your hard-boiled egg. You remember the sacrifice of the lamb. That Now remember, the sacrifice of the lamb saved their ancestors, delivered them, and set them free And now they can't do the sacrifice anymore. So you dip it in the salt water because salt water is what? Tears. 
And there's sadness now because we can't actually sacrifice the lamb. And then you eat it to remind them. All right. The last thing on the table is this. It's called the Zeroha. And this is the lamb. It's the, it's the bone of a lamb. And that would just sit on the plate. You guys don't have one in your bag. Don't need to look for that. <clears throat> but the, 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 the lamb shank that would be on the table reminded them of the lambs that were central to the first Passover. Now, if you remember, that lamb had to have no blemish, no spots, and, this is so interesting, because the lamb had to be perfect, there could be no broken bones. All right? That was the key. Now, if you know anything about crucifixion, Jesus Christ, the lamb that we're going to get to here, when you're crucified, obviously the pain of the stakes going through your hands and your feet, I just can't even fathom because of the nerves that are in there. But what would happen is the reason, the way you died, though, is it would be so painful is that you would, you would collapse like this and your lungs, you couldn't breathe. And so what you do is you'd, you'd, you'd push up on the spikes with your legs and to get a breath. And then you couldn't do that anymore and then you'd come down and then when you couldn't breathe anymore, then you'd push yourself up to breathe. Now, in Roman custom, when someone was being crucified, and the, the, the night was coming and they wanted it to be over with, what they would do is they would come and they'd break the guy's legs so that they couldn't push themselves up anymore and then they couldn't breathe and they would die. But when they came to Jesus, he had already breathed his last. And so he had no broken bone. I, you guys, you just wait. We're just getting there. The unbelievable prophecy in the Old Testament. See, what God was doing all the way thousands of years before was saying, I want you to get ready so that when Jesus comes, you're going to know he's the one you've been waiting for. And one of those prophecies was that right there. The sacrifice that takes away your death, that causes me to pass over, must be one who's pure and spotless with no broken bones. And that was Jesus. All right. That's the end of the first cup. Now you don't even have to worry about your bags anymore. You're good. Here's the second cup. Go ahead and grab your cup. Now this second cup is the cup of plagues. The cup of plagues. All right. So, and as we sit there, I'm just going to go ahead and put this here. You're not going to drink this one. And the, and the reason you don't drink it is because a full cup was actually a symbol of blessing. <laughs> okay? And so, and they wanted, again, to help the Israelites to remember, to help you remember that when your forefathers were in slavery, it actually wasn't a time of full blessing. And so what you do is they want you to remember the plagues that actually took place. So what you do is you dip your finger in and you get a drop and then you just put it and you, you drop it. I know you guys won't have a plate. So just kind of dip your finger in and then just kind of drip it back in since you don't have a plate to do this on. But I'm going to give you each one of these plagues and I'm just looking at them right here, right in Exodus chapter seven. The first one was a plague of blood. And so I'll just say of blood and you guys go blood. Okay. The plague of frogs. The plague of gnats. The plague of flies. Excuse me. The plague of livestock. The plague of boils. The plague of hail. The plague of locusts. The plague of darkness. And then the plague of the firstborn. See, so again, God just wanted to make a symbol of remember the 10 different things that took place before I actually came to redeem your people. Now, 
What's interesting, you guys, is that, again, so the remembrance for the Israelites was, thank you, God, because when they collected the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorposts, the death swept through, the angel of death swept through the land of Egypt, and where the blood was found, death passed over them. And now it's going to start getting really good. Because Jesus Christ, right? The scriptures tell us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so that keeps us separated from our life with God. And Jesus comes and he says, now here's the deal. Now my blood (laughs) is going to be shed. And on the doorpost of our heart, of our heart, of anyone who has that, one of the greatest news in all the world is that when we die, and all of us are going to die, but those who have received the full forgiveness of God, there's no, we have eternal life right now. And death will pass us over. And we will live with him forever. All right. Now, right after this, and this is the part that was so incredible to me. They have a bag. It's called the matzotash. And in this bag are three compartments. And in, and in those three compartments, there would be um, unleavened bread like this. There'd be three of them, three compartments of bread. And it was a symbol of unity, three in one. Okay? Now, there was a lot of argument about that. They would say, now, why is it three in one? And sometimes they would have ideas that maybe it's for the patriarchs. Maybe it's for, the, to us, for us to remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Others would say, well, maybe it's the whole idea of, our, of our, the way we do worship, of the priests and the Levites and the people of Israel. But here's what's interesting. The second piece, so you have these three pieces and three pockets, and they take the second piece of bread out. And it's called the bread of affliction. And it's the whole loaf, the whole loaf, like this. It's the whole piece of bread. Now, if you notice, the first thing about this bread is it's unleavened, right? And what does unleavened mean? It means pure. It means there's no sin in it whatsoever. The other thing you notice is that it's pierced. See that? See how there's all the little holes in it? See, they would pierce the bread to make sure as well that it just, there was nothing, no error, that it was completely flat. And then you notice that there's stripes, right? In the bread. Okay? Now, what you do, the father would stand up and he would take half of this and he would break it off. And he would wrap it in linen cloth. And then he would go out of the room where they were eating the meal and he would go into another room of the house and he would hide it. So he'd stick it somewhere where nobody would know where it is. And then he would come back. And the meal couldn't be finished without the rest of that, of that bread. Now, toward the end of the meal, the father would send the children into the rest of the house to look for it. Okay? And they would go find it. Now, is there a kid who knows where I put the, put, where I put the bread? Great. Would you go ahead and grab it for me? All right. So a child goes and he searches the home. And he finds the bread, and he brings it to the dad. Thank you, dude. You rock. Excellent. And then, at the end of the meal, the father takes the bread, and he breaks it. And he hands it for people to eat. Here, sweetie. Now, here's a question. Why is this unleavened, pure, pierced, striped bread broken, hidden, and then brought back? So, does it represent Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Does it represent the priests and the Levites and the people? Could it be that it represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? You can clap, dude, if you want, because I got chills on my back too. Seriously, you can clap on that right there. The first time I heard that, I might have tears in my eyes now. See, you guys, what God was doing for hundreds of years 
It's almost like Jesus says, we got to establish this. And I want you to take the middle piece out and I want you to break it. I want you to wrap it up. I want you to bury it. I want you to bring it back. I want it to be pierced and striped and unleavened because I want you to know I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. And I don't want you to miss me. I don't want you to miss me. And I'm telling you, and here's, okay, it keeps getting better. So it's the Last Supper. And these Jewish guys have been celebrating the Passover year after year after year after year. And it was this bread that Jesus took and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You guys picking it out? He takes out the center bread, pure, broken, pierced, striped, unleavened, and says, this is me. This is me. What you guys have been looking for for hundreds of years, what you've been looking for your whole life, it's me. And he took it and he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, eat this in remembrance of me. I, I, can you guys even imagine what that must have been like for those disciples? Because actually when I was watching this, and I, I watched this, a guy do this for Jews for Jesus, so a guy who is Jewish and, you know, and yet is now a believer in Christ. And he just said that most of the time when he was growing up in this Jewish family, they would just say, well, why do we take the second one out? And the answer of the rabbi would always say, we don't know. We don't know. And it's just incredible that Jesus took that for those guys who didn't know what for sure what it was. And he says, well, now you know. This is me. All right. And then the next thing he went to was the third cup. So grab your cup. And Jesus took the cup. And this third cup is called the cup of redemption and blessing. The cup of redemption and blessing. And what it is for the Jewish people is it's a chance to look back again and remember the redemption into freedom that he did. But it also was always a look forward to say for the hope of who? Of who? Come on, somebody knows. Who? The Messiah. The Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And someday he's going to set you free. You know, and so the Jewish people just couldn't wait. They celebrated at Passover what had taken place, but they also celebrated Passover in the hopes that the Messiah was going to come and really set them free. And so it's at this last supper during the third cup of redemption that Jesus holds the cup up and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. You guys, this cup of redemption is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Now, just real quick, what does that mean? What is the new covenant? You guys, in Jeremiah chapter 31, again, hundreds of years before, Jesus came on the scene. God said this, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. See, because what was the covenant back then? The old covenant was God saying, now listen, you guys, you are my people and I will be your God. And he gives them the 10 commandments, right? And he looks at them, he says, you guys in? And all the Israelites go, we're in. You're our God. And he goes, we'll be your people. He goes, that's great. And how'd they do with that one? They didn't do very good. (laughs) They broke their covenant. And he says, even though, because the covenant was broken, even though I was a husband to them, God says, I loved them and 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 loved them. And they broke the covenant. Anybody relate? He loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Loves you. He loves you. 
and we break his covenant. So he goes on. This is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel. At that time, declares the Lord, I will actually put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So instead of his law written on tablet tablet tones, how about tablet stones? Let's try that one. Okay, instead of his law written on tablets of stone that they had to try to do, right? Now he says, no, I'm going to write my law on your heart. What's that mean? You know what he's saying? He goes, you're actually going to want it. It's not going to be external. I'm going to write it right in here in your mind and in your heart. You're actually now going to want to do what I want you to do. What's that called? See, that would be for us when you receive the Holy Spirit of God inside your life. You now have someone who comes spiritually inside you to change you, to give you a new, to make you a new creation. This is the new covenant. He says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So here's God just going, now this is great, because I'm going to tell you, hundreds of years from now, of course, they didn't know when, because they were always waiting for the Messiah, always waiting for the Messiah. When's the Messiah going to come? And God, a hundred years before, said, there's going to be a new covenant and I'm going to forgive you of your sins and I'll remember them no more. And when that happens, I'll write my law on your heart. And Jesus holds up the cup. And he goes, it's here. The new covenant is here. By my one sacrifice, Hebrews chapter 10, It talks about how sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice never took away the sins of the people. But then it says, but by this one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The cup of redemption, and he held it up and he said, now you guys, this is my blood shed for you so that all of your sins will be forgiven. And when you receive that forgiveness... God's going to write his law on your heart. Take this and remember me. Let's drink the cup of redemption. Now, I just got to tell you, can you guys feel it? Can you feel what it must have been like for these disciples? seriously they must have sit there going grandpa would be dying right now i mean i had to sit there and listen to this thing over and over and over again i didn't really get it and now this guy's telling me it's happening and i'm in the room i'm in the room and the new covenant is being established and the fulfillment of passover is taking place And that's when you guys go, the freedom from slavery in Egypt was great, but now there's freedom from the slavery of the human condition. This whacked out, goofy heart that we have that likes to think about ourselves more than other people. This one that wakes up anxious and fearful and angry and bitter and empty and searching. Jesus says, no more. Every life that wakes up with so much hurt and so much pain due to so much of the wickedness of all the other people. All the abuse, all the rejection, all the judgment, all your hurts, all of your emptiness. What Jesus does is he takes it all. He takes your sin and he takes the sin done to you and he takes it inside himself so that you can finally be free to live. Man, now the Jews, when they got to this point, they just said, man, we got to praise God. And they didn't even get the whole picture, but they still said, we got to praise God for what he's done. And so in Psalm 107 too, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So at the conclusion of the Passover, they would do, we're going to do a say so, right? And what they would do is they pick out the Jewish national hymn book. Anybody got one of those? Anybody got a Jewish national hymn book? Okay, everybody raise your hand. Seriously, everybody raise your hand. You got one, don't you? It's the Psalms. (laughs) So they pull out the Psalms and they go to these Psalms of praise and it would be any Psalm that was between Psalm 113 and 118 and they would sing a Psalm. Now grab your cup the last time. This is the fourth cup. 
and they would raise their cup and they would do the cup of praise to say, thank you, God, for redeeming us from Egypt. But for us, we can go, thank you, God, that you redeemed them from Egypt. Seriously. But thank you that you have redeemed us from ourselves and from our sin and you've set us free. Let's drink to that one. Here we go. The cup of praise. Now here's what's interesting. Oh, I missed one part. Grab these again. Hold it up. Sorry. I'm working on this myself. First time. They would raise these in praise to God and here's what they would say. They would say, come on everybody, raise your cup. Here we go. They would say, next year in Jerusalem. Okay? All right, let's try that again. One, two, three. Next year in Jerusalem. Now, why would they say that? Because in the middle of their celebration of what God had done in Egypt, they were hoping that maybe next year, when we're in Jerusalem together doing this, the Messiah would have been there. Next year in Jerusalem. Now you can put him down. And here's the last piece that would take place. Is Elijah. Jewish tradition has the expectation that the prophet Elijah will come and he'll announce the arrival of the Messiah. So there's a picture up here of a, of a table setting at a, at a Seder. And you'll notice that um, there's five settings there around this end of the table. And on the end, there's a chair that's empty with no place setting in it. And there's an empty goblet. And that place setting at every Passover meal they put a place setting for Elijah and um, with a special cup and an empty chair. And then the father asked the youngest child to go open the door. So the youngest kid gets up from the table. He goes to the front door and he opens it up. And the reason you open it up is for Elijah. And then everybody would stand. So let's go ahead and do it since this is what they did. Everybody would stand. So just picture it in your mind or in your home. The youngest kid goes and he opens up the door and you're all standing and looking at the door and then together they would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's say that together. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they would sing the oldest Hebrew melody that's known and the words are this, Elijah the prophet, come in our days and bring Messiah, the son of David. And every year they sit and they see the empty chair and the door open and they ask Elijah to bring the Messiah and they say, is he going to come? Maybe next year in Jerusalem. And so what they missed was this guy that you've probably heard of called John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah and then while he was baptizing people, Jesus came over the hill. And when he saw Jesus, he looked at him. And do you remember what he said? He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He looked at him and he said, there he is. This is the guy. This is the Messiah. And so for us today, you all, this deep Hebrew tradition of Passover is of the richest, do you guys feel it? The richest, deepest, wonderful experience to know that God loved his people so much that he wanted to make sure and he sent all these symbols and he said, do this every year because I've set this whole thing up so that when I come in the flesh, you'll recognize me. And here we are 2,000 years later and we can go, thank you, Jesus. Because you've taken away my sin. Everything you have ever done wrong or ever will do. Is that not good news? <laughs> Completely washed over. So that when death comes, it will pass over. Not because we're so great, but because he's so great. And because he loves us so much. And so from the depth of our heart, we can finally say, Praise God for Jesus, the Passover lamb who's taken away my sin. Now we're going to end our day like they did with this psalm of praise and just thanks for who Jesus Christ is. 
But I just, I just want to ask you a question. See, I could, we kind of, we look at this and we, from a Christian perspective, we can, it's easy for us, which is probably not right, but it is, to look at this and go, how do they miss this? Right? You just, that whole piece of it, all the symbolism, you go, how do they miss this? And so you can take the Passover meal, right? And you can take it and you can actually participate in it. And yet you can never actually really taste it, right? But I'm just going to ask you, how many of you have taken communion over and over and over again? And yet you know that you don't really taste it. The real freedom, the complete forgiveness, the actual presence of God in your heart, setting you free to be everything that you were created to be. See, we're no different. And we can go through religious tradition and totally miss the reality of God in our life. And I just want to offer this moment right here to you. Because some of you maybe have never heard this before, and I don't know about you, but it blows me away to see the fulfillment of prophecy. Hundreds of years could go by, and Jesus fulfilled all that. And some of you may be just standing here right now today and going, you know what? I need that. I want that. I want to know that when Jesus Christ came as the Messiah, that he came for me. And I would love nothing more than just to receive the full blessing that he came to give me. To forgive me of all of my sin and then to fill me with his very spirit, with his presence. Jesus said that's just eternal life right there. Eternal life is knowing me. And the coolest thing is, you don't have to do anything. (laughs) You don't have to be good. You don't have to do good. He says, no, just believe in me. Just believe in me. Just receive me. And then I'm the one who will actually make you good. (laughs) I'm the one who will actually empower you and give you desire to do good stuff. Next thing, I'm telling you guys, that's the life. It's like what happens literally when you find Christ, it's like, oh, you find this cord and you went, oh, and you plugged it in the wall and you're like, whoa, I had no idea this thing worked. That's what it is right there. You just got to plug into the source, which is you were created to be in a relationship with God. But you got to get the junk taken out and put into Christ which he did already did for you. It's already been paid. It's like the, you're in prison to all your crap and he opened the door 2,000 years ago to set you free, but you're still sitting in the cage. All you gotta do is walk out. All you gotta do is say, I want you. And he goes, thank you very much. He'll come in and he will begin the process of making you who you want to be. It's that easy. So I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna sing this song. And as we do, even if it's during the song, If you want to come pray with me, I would love to do that. Or when it's done, if you want to come talk to me, if you want the life you were created to live and you want to receive Jesus Christ, we can do that right here today. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And that means yours. And for hundreds of years, God prepared the way through Passover so that everybody would know who he was. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. Let me pray. God, I love the fact that you know every heart in this room. And I believe with all my heart that you're knocking on the door right now. (laughs) For somebody here today, you're knocking on the door and you're saying, oh, dude, I love you. Let me in. I love you. Let me in. I don't care what you've done. I forgive you. I don't care who you are. I love you. Let me in. And I pray that you would now, through your spirit, draw people to Jesus and help them just to put down all their walls and just open up their heart and to believe in you and to receive you and to receive forgiveness and to receive the Holy Spirit and to have your law written on their heart. Dwell in their heart, Jesus, from this day forward. 
I just pray you'd move in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, now as we take our time here to worship him, and this song that we're going to sing is actually straight from scripture. It's in the last book of the Bible. When it says, when it's all said and done, we're all going to stand, right? And it says we're all going to fall on our face. We're going to be like, dude, you rock. And we're, we just, it's going to be so glorious. We're not even going to be able to stand. We're going to fall down. And then the heavens are just going to be saying, behold, the lamb of God who was slain. Behold the lamb. And we're all going to do it. It's going to be a beautiful thing. So that's what we're going to sing. And why we do, you guys, we do, we take our offering while we do this. Again, if you're visiting with us, please don't even worry about this moment at all, the offering. But for those of us who've received Christ, it's just like once you get his generous spirit inside of you, you just pour yourself out in this way too. That's why Jesus said, just where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's just one way to say, God, thank you for what you've done. So if you want to say thank you for what he's done for you, then let's participate in the offering. And then all of us, let's just turn, the words will be up here on the screen, and let's worship him together.